This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's it, $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only. And I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com. And if you want to join, all you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm, from 1965. It's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage Show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump. Much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. <laughs> with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Welcome to another Michael Savage podcast. You know, I didn't really want to do this one. The guests were picked by the staff and it was on a topic I'm interested in because Remember when Musk said that unless population increases in America, civilization will collapse, not only in America, but the Western world. So the people who work for me found two great people on the subject, Malcolm and Simone Collins, authors of The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion. I thought it would be boring. Well, I will tell you, I stepped into another world. I felt as though I was turning the pages of both Brave New World and books like it. These are the most astonishing people I have ever spoken with in my professional, possibly in my life. You have to listen to this interview because it goes so beyond the topic of the book that I will let the interview itself speak for itself. And I will say this, it's a fascinating topic. They're husband and wife. Again, as I say, they're reminiscent of characters right out of Aldous Huxley's classic novel, Brave New World. 
but they're on a mission. These two super people are on a mission, on a mission to save humanity from declining birth rates with their emerging pronatalist movement. We're going to go into that, but at the beginning of this podcast, you're going to hear how they met and how they became the people that they are today because I spoke with them for 30, 40 minutes about the subject. And then I said, how did you two meet your amazing people? And when they told me how they met and they want to have eight children, they already have two, and how they live, I was shocked at the brilliance of these two people. Again, let them speak for themselves. Listen to Malcolm and Simone Collins, authors of The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion and how they met. Always interesting, a young, great couple. Listen and learn and enjoy. By the way, they talk about defeating the progressive super virus that's eating away at everything, if you want to know what their politics are. The progressive super virus. Okay, thanks for listening. Here we go. Good morning. Nice to see you. Glad we're doing this important discussion today. Thank you for being with us. So can I ask a question? You're your husband and wife team, correct? Yes. Yeah. So you wrote this book together. You're raising a family together. You're both absolutely zealous in your belief system and very futuristic. How did you meet? We met online dating like most younger couples do these days. Um, online and- because of your political orientation, your belief system? No, online because that's that's how people... Um, at least before online dating markets pretty sustainably broke. Um, With swipe we, dating. Yeah, we that's how people trying to pair off often meet each and other. And so tell them about the first date. So I meet Simone. I was trying to find a wife at the time because I knew I needed a wife. And I was going through about five dates a week was my goal because I was doing high throughput screening. You know, you're a biologist. You know what I mean here. Just got to test all the antigens. <laughs> um, I was like, you're I got to- fantastic. I, I love talking to two of you. Every- Every woman in the Bay Area, because that's where I was at the time. I was at Stanford. Um, oh, and, God. And I met Simone. And on the first day, well, you could tell him, Simone. He sits across from me at dinner and he says, well, I'm not really looking to date. I'm looking to find a wife. And I expect to find her this autumn at Stanford, where there's a large pool of pre-vetted candidates. Um, and I'm like, whoa, OK. OK, like, that's a good starter. And what would you have to drink? Right. And Simone. <laughs> had created this dating competition because she'd never dated before, but she felt like, well, I should probably try this whole like kissing. Why didn't you date thing. before, Simone? I'm very autistic and I am not socially comfortable. And so I just couldn't be bothered. I would rather, you know, excel. Oh, that, I like I like that. I'm <laughs> I can relate to that. I like isolation. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love what she tells me on, on, on one of our early dates. She's like, OK, so you only want to date me over the summer. That's very convenient for my plans. <laughs> Wait a She's minute. Like, Why over the summer? Because I was going to start. I was going to start at school. He's going to find his know, wife at Stanford and find because my wife I there. wasn't good enough. So, well, yeah, I didn't think she was good enough at the time. Um, You two are great. And so she comes to me and she's like, look, I got a deal for you, right? I really want to try this whole dating, sex, kissing, love thing, but I will only do it if you promise to break up with me in six months. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's an easy deal. Let's do that. That's a, that works for me. Uh, And we did. Wait, 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 say that again. She said what? She's like, I I will only... (laughs) I will only have I'll only date you, have sex, everything like that. If you can promise that we'll break up in in, in, in a few months. Um, Why said, was that, Simone? Well, because I wanted to live alone forever. And I had ah. said at age 24 that I would have one year where I fell in love, have my heart broken and then lived alone forever. Oh, you're fabulous. That. You got it all planned out. I got it. No, I did. And so did Malcolm. Right. When I find I find a guy who's totally my type, who I knew I would fall for, who says he wants to find a, a wife at Stanford that fall. I'm like, this is it. You know, everyone wins. He occupies his time. Oh, oh he was going to leave. I, I fall in love and have my heart broken. Where did you have your Win-win. first dinner? Which restaurant in San Francisco or was it at Stanford? Uh, Amber, in- India, uh, Fierba Buena Gardens. In Amber, San India. Francisco. Have you been there? Oh, I know Yerba Buena Gardens. I haven't been to the city much since COVID. I had an apartment. Why would you? It's the last time we returned to Amber, India. It was for like there were like anniversary. I gave up my apartment the after COVID. I, 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 it, it kills me because I loved the city. I had an apartment downtown near Broadway. Oh, it's great. Golden Gateway. And I would I even broadcast from there with my own equipment. And I remember after the show was over, I would walk the streets. It was like uh, to me, it was like Paris to me. I would walk around the Embarcadero, then I'd walk up to North Beach through Jackson Street. 
I loved peeking in galleries. It was a city like a movable feast that Hemingway had described where you could be alone and yet yeah. maybe with someone. I mean, I was, I was yeah. always a guy looking in. Uh, you could, Simone, I can sense you would relate to that. I like 100 percent walk through the city, look at the, the bar scene, not go in it, though, because mm-hmm. I didn't like the noise. The noise would mm-hmm. affect me and it the had- people's smells would bother me. Exactly. Oh, like you understand. It was, like <laughs> a zoo. it was like a bar was like a zoo to me. I didn't like yes. it. But I liked seeing life or right? mm-hmm. walk around me or go to my friend's restaurant and have a coffee or maybe have a drink. So that was the city I loved. I came to love it. It died. And then yeah. the bums took over. That's the thing is, is so we, we returned to this restaurant where we had our first date. Um actually just before the pandemic and during our meal, um, a man literally was licking the glass across from Malcolm, like at the window, like it was like a zombie apocalypse. Like oh, we oh. literally felt like we were walking through. There was he just looked so at much you and licked the, the, the plate glass window to yeah, upset just the window you. of the restaurant. Like we're, we're sitting oh, in, well. in a booth by the window of the restaurant. And like, literally there's a man like looking. But Simone, you're not being you're not being tolerant. This is the problem. I, I am so, so cruel. Did you, did you realize that that man probably was trying to get the essential minerals that were missing from his homeless diet? Exactly. Yes, yeah. And it, it is the city's fault. <laughs> the he, essential, yeah, the essential minerals. Should have let, he was trying to get residual silica out of the glass. You see. <laughs> OK, oh, yeah. so you met. It was 1984. Brave New World combined. It, well, it lasted <laughs> how long now? How long has this marriage been? It's been uh, almost uh, 12 years? years. I guess we're coming on 12 Oh, years. my God. I thought you were going to say it's been a year now and he's still looking. F- he's going to look for a <laughs> wife next summer. <laughs> no, man, we are we are um, 12 years, um, one startup, one company acquisition, uh, three kids. Oh, um, my God. Several countries later. Um, you guys are amazing. We've, Malcolm, do you speak some stuff. Korean? You, you speak, uh, no, I don't speak Korean. Korean. I went there to pay for her graduate degree because remember, I was like, <laughs> oh, you know, she's not educated enough. So I'll send her out to get a fancy graduate degree at Cambridge. And so I, I took this job whoa, in Korea. Whoa, 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 slow down. Now you're talking my language. I, I love higher degrees. I, as I said to someone who I had on the podcast two weeks ago, I like real earned PhDs. <laughs> what did you get your advanced degrees in? So Malcolm got his MBA at Stanford. And then he sent me, as he says, to, to Cambridge to amend my pathetic undergraduate oh. degree um, to get a degree in technology policy. And it was, um, at it was a great experience. At, no, at uh, woke Cambridge University. Uh, I'm going to be honest. What do you mean, Harvard? No, 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 Cambridge, uh, like Oxford, Cambridge, the real Cambridge, the, right? Yeah, actual Cambridge, <laughs> the real one. So you had to speak English. You had to speak real English there. Yes. Proper English. <laughs> <laughs> So we don't believe in the existing university system. That said, we don't feel that you can trash on something unless you've mastered it. So we decided to get the degrees so that then we could say, actually, they were pretty pointless, but they're a credentialing <laughs> mechanism for like raising money and stuff in society these days. Well, well you know, that's true. It's, it's actually 100 percent true. They are. You could are. You see, this is the problem, though. The illiterates and the uneducated would take that and say, you see, I told you so. We really don't need advanced degrees. No, they how don't. Would, I mean, the you need whatever they learn. used to be. Hmm? We need whatever they used to be, but they're not that anymore. Now they're a class status certification mechanism wow. being taught at institutions controlled by one cultural group that uses it to proselytize and convert people. Wow. And that, oh, sorry, too much of a rant. No, no, no. I'm following you. I don't. I don't. I don't agree because. If you're going to get a, deg- a higher degree, let's say in, in organic chemistry, that's not a, a, a useless degree. Either you know organic chemistry or you don't. Either you know medicinal chemistry or you don't. It's not just a fake degree. I think that is changing as of like the last three years. You know, um, Linus Pauling, who was one of my heroes, said that the reason he chose to get his the reason he chose to emphasize his studies in chemistry is because it was an, a, a thing where you could know the truth. Either an mm-hmm. element is an element or it's not an element. And you could discern that in a laboratory, right? Either it yeah. is copper or it's not copper. Or is it iron or is it aluminum? And you know it by the molecular structure. So you, ha- I mean, you have to agree that there are things that can be learned. Oh, I agree there like are. And I agree a plane. there is an objective otherwise, truth. But I also uh, believe- Otherwise, we wind up with an FAA chief of the type Biden's trying to put in saying, Oh, he knows nothing about airplanes or airports, but 
That's fine. No one does. Exactly. They are trying to gaslight you into believing that no one can know anything. <laughs> ah. Because once you let down your mental defenses, once you accept that, you they can pour their entire ideology down your I like, throat I, I, I without like a gag it. reflex. God, you guys are amazing. I've got, <laughs> you don't live in the Bay Area, do you? She I was grew up in the there. Bay Area. Come on, but you're still here? No, we're we're out in Pennsylvania. Oh, Rural Pennsylvania. You know, Karen's in Pennsylvania who was introduced you she lives so, so you you became country folk then huh well it's the only way to affordably raise kids realistically yeah. you can't raise you know seven kids in the no, Bay i was going to invite you and all your your relatives to dinner i would love to be with you and have a party oh, we come out there enough but a lot of our investors are out there i'd love to go to go next say hi. time you're here you will be my guests i will take you to a small restaurant owned by a friend with a private room that will sit in and no one will bother us. That sounds marvelous. Because I, you know, I'll tell you, you talk about autism and I don't know where I am on the spectrum. I mean, I'm a high functioning something or other. If I hey, go it sounds to like you're there, if, if you if you love walking by bars and restaurants, but you can't go in because it's loud. I can go in. I just don't like the floor them. is sticky. You're it's, probably a little I'm autistic. the worst person on earth to go to a dinner with. Ask my poor wife, because I find problems the minute I sit down. Either the service is too slow or the people near me are too loud, which they oh, yeah. usually are. Oh, yeah. They're so loud. I can't I want to leave immediately. What the hell am I doing here? Oh, and I'm well, I'm, I'm taking out a small food scale and I'm weighing the, every single food that I eat there and entering it into my phone like a complete freak. So, you know, we're no, but I, I would rather eat at home and watch a show on TV that I'm interested in a movie even. Mm. than be in a restaurant. I, I think about like if I'm watching a movie, think about this. Hundreds of people who made that movie, if it's a good one, hundreds of people. And I'm watching every scene and while I'm eating, as opposed to listening to some oaf sitting next to me, bloviating about something irrelevant. I, I want to bash my head into a window. Yeah, I can't take I literally can't eat. Then I get nervous. Then I say something. Then then we have an argument. <laughs> So that's an example of why I wound up as a talk show host. All the <laughs> you know, that was my fourth or fifth career. I was 52 years old when I went into radio and I rose to the kind of the top of the field in 26 years. And now I've been doing podcasts for two or two, some odd years. I like podcasts almost more than radio because I do it from my house alone, staring at a computer screen. And then when you leave, it's I had the greatest time all week just now with these two people. They're out of a Huxley novel. And Brave New World combined. And now they the screen is turned off. And where am I going to go now? How am I going to match this after this show? <laughs> Nobody could. You two guys are amazing. Michael Savage, a host like no other. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. As another bank collapses, U.S. regulators race to prevent spread of crisis. Contagion fears are spreading. Government is lying about not bailing them out. They're bailing out investors even though they don't have to because it's your money they're bailing them out with. Again, inflationary pressures are hitting the banks. They're going to hit our currency with the money going to here, going to there, going to Ukraine, now to investors. What do you think is going to happen? Inflation, inflation, inflation. Shocking headlines released as bank failures shake the markets. Now is the time to buy gold more than ever before. I want you to text SAVAGE to 989-898. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. I'm Michael SAVAGE. Text SAVAGE to 989-898 now. I don't know what to call this podcast other than without more children, America will die. I mean, is that basically your premise? It is, but the rest of the world is dying so much quicker from a lack of children that we're probably going to end up pretty good here. The yeah. rest of the world is dying quicker than America? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who the has the lowest countries? birth? Which Western nation has the lowest birth rate? I'm I'm fairly certain it's one in e Eastern Europe or or I, I, I remember years ago I read that Serbia had the lowest birth rate 
which I thought was odd because they're very devout cat uh, Christians. Yeah. And I don't know what happened. It was after their after the war with uh, Bosnia, the birth rate dropped. You know, war tends to intimidate. I I can't tell you the most the most resistant to fertility collapse. Monaco looks pretty bad. Monaco in Israel. Monaco. Yeah. Israel is also falling off the cliff. Israel's really hot. So the three that aren't (laughs) collapsing are Israel, the U.S. and France. Mm-hmm. Aren't co- yeah, but wait a minute. Let's look into that. This They're is a collapsing great t- now, but not as much as other countries. Okay, but if we break it down demographically, if you go into Israel, I'm guessing now it's your expertise. Yeah, that it would be the Arabic Jews or the Yemenites who are ha- have a higher birth rate than the Ashkenazi Jews, the Europeans. It was the Haredi. It's the Haredi. They're super religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, but even secular Jews in Israel have a be a beloved above repopulation birth rate. And that's the only secular population in any developed country with an above repopulation. Well, let's hear it for the hot Jews. I like it. Right. Well, it's something we can talk about because it's very interesting. And it's something that you're you're noticing here is that fertility is all about cultural groups. It's not about countries. Mm-hmm. A cultural groups, not countries. So in America, the cultural group that is still um, reproducing and producing sufficient birth rate are not white people, to be very blunt, correct? No, no, white, white people. Uh, no, it's conservative. Like, and we're talking Christians. cultural groupings, too. So, like, it doesn't really depend that much on necessarily racial or ethnic backgrounds. It depends upon the culture. So, I mean, like, look at Amish people. Like, they're doing fine. Okay. They're doing great. Yeah, so, so conservative Christians are the most resistant to fertility collapse in the U.S. Um, and it's a, a, we could go deeper on this on the show. Oh, no, I like this. This is very fascinating to learn that the more religious a person is, whether they be Muslim, Jewish or Christian, the higher their fertility rate. Yes. And the more atheistic they are, the lower the fertility rate. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's why are we are we on air? Are we going to. Oh, no, we're recording. That's the best part. All spontaneous <sighs> See, conversational. That's the way a podcast should be. See, yeah. this is this is interesting, Malcolm. Because we're having a conversation over a table, having a coffee, and we're talking. <laughs> it's better than a formal one. Yeah. And- so, so the the concern. This is why we wrote the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion because it appears to be the only thing that really resists fertility collapse is religious traditions. Um, if you try to give like cash handouts to the government, it doesn't really work. Like Hungary spent like five percent of its GDP last year trying to get fertility rates up, and it only got them up by one point six. So you can't buy people to have children. Yeah, you can't say we'll pay you to have children. It it doesn't really work. And what all the progressives they want to go there. To. They're like, oh, it's 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 all about we don't have enough money because you know they want it to be their own. Or they'll say we can fix it with immigration. Yet even by yes. UN numbers, right. All of Latin America, so Central America, uh, South America, and the Caribbean collectively fell below repopulation rate in 2019. So they're not, they're not producing. What about the immigrants that are flooding over the border into America? Many of them come here just to have children because of the benefits. What about that? So their fertility rates collapse really rapidly when they hit America. Uh, and it's really fascinating if you compare them with a cultural group to Catholic cultural groups already in America. Interesting. So while Catholic cultural groups already in America have on average lower fertility rates, their for fertility rate isn't collapsing as fast as the new immigrant communities. Um, and then, wait, our- wait, the new, wait, I got to follow that. So the new immigrant communities no matter what their ethnic background is or country of origin, have a lower birth rate once they move here. Not a lower birth rate. First generation immigrants only have a fertility rate of 1.7. So still well below repopulation rate. Repopulation is three, isn't it? Or 2.3? 2.1. Okay. Yeah. So they're still below repopulation rate. Can anyone have a point one child? (laughs) (laughs) What we mean is the acceleration of decline in new immigrant groups is faster than the acceleration of decline in existing groups. Why Um, is that, do you think? Here is what I think it is. So what seems to cause fertility collapse is when a country on average earns right now, if you look at the world on average, people like they think this is a wealthy country problem. It's not any country where uh, the average citizen is earning over five thousand dollars a year typically is above repopulation rate right now. So you have to be like desperately poor for poverty to keep you above repopulation rate. So you have to be desperately poor to do what? 
to stay above repopulation rate. So if you are a country where the average citizen earns less than $5,000 a year, you are very likely to have above repopulation rate. So the very, very poor on the earth have large families. Yes. Well, let's think about that for a minute. You go back to ancient times, the large family and very poor peasant families was because the children were necessary to gather the crops and to work right and for the and to protect the parents from invading hordes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, every kid increases the economic uh, quality of life of the parents in those cultures often because they're an extra pair of hands to work. Unbelievable. So We're, so <laughs> decadence, in other words, the, the old story, uh, the more comfortable, the less you have to work, the less you have to fear, the lower the birth rate. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Big question. In the 60s, I remember there was a group called ZPG, Zero Population Growth. Aren't they happy with what they've achieved in America? They are genuinely thrilled and they hate people like us. Um, they, uh, when we talk to some ultra progressives, they'll say like, but wouldn't the world be better without people? And I'm like, like you said the quiet part out loud. You guys are, that's your secret belief. They actually want humans off the planet. Oh yeah. 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 That's sick. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, they're that, they're that open would, about it. They want would, humans to disappear. Well, you have to look at it from their perspective. I think what you're missing is they're looking at this from often a negative utilitarian perspective where they see just the human condition is involving so much suffering that it's <laughs> it's inhumane to allow humans to exist. How do they, they know an animal doesn't suffer? Humans. I watch the birds every day out there and I see flocks of birds and I, I see them fishing. How do I know that the cormorant who is searching for food during the day isn't suffering from hunger, which motivates the cormorant to fly and look for the fish? Well, that's how our do, stance how do I suffering. know the fish isn't suffering when the cormorant dives into the water and grabs it and sucks it into its gullet? They're is all it, suffering. And, and that's our that's our stance on suffering. Suffering is part of being alive because right. suffering is what motivates survival yeah. and action. Buddhist if you don't have suffering, you don't is, have existence. Yeah. The Buddhist wheel is about suffering. Mm-hmm. Hold on. I have to go back to a question. That's earlier, <laughs> yeah, I got Malcolm is, going today. Why are immigrant groups declining in fertility at faster acceleration than the existing groups in these countries? So Answer. The, the three things associated with fertility collapse are wealth, education, and gender equality. What well, we, slow down. You're talking too fast. It's not because they don't have to have the children anymore. They've got so many benefits. No, it's, it's, it's because their cultures um, haven't had enough time to adapt to these things that cause fertility collapse. So if you look at the single cultural group in the world, so there's two cultural groups that are most resistant to fertility collapse. It's conservative Christians and conservative Jews. And conservative Jews are just like off the charts resistance. No, to I know they're the 10, 12 children. And I've talked um, to many. Of them. I know them very well. I, I sort of a collateral member of the Chabad group yep. for 40 years. I know how they think. And it's because they've sort of been immunized to prosperity and 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 um, living in cities, which is the other thing that causes fertility collapse longer than other groups. So if you look at U.S. Catholic groups versus the immigrant Catholic groups, the U.S. Catholic groups had been exposed to all of these things that cause fertility collapse for a long time and, and gradually. And so they've had time to culturally adapt to them. These new groups are just now hitting them, you know, the, the and so they haven't had time to adapt to them as much and so it's causing their fertility rates to collapse faster well let's slow it down for the average listener what happens to the immigrant group in america that makes the fertility rate go down Uh, they (sighs) many things mostly prosperity mostly the kids don't increase their quality of life anymore mostly increase access to but also you've got to keep in mind that the way isn't the cultural mores of turning on the tv 
and seeing gay families, transgender, and it's kind of shameful to have children. There's almost no shows about families on TV. Yeah, anymore. One of the big factors, actually, I think, is is oddly when people get when people adjust to a higher standard of living, yeah. they also start to want expect to raise their children like an adult at their current standard of living, which is inherently right. unsustainable. Brilliant, now, brilliant. Even in the past, wealthy families, when they raise children, they raise children on a very lower standard of living. They'd have maybe someone in their house for free teaching their kid. Their mm. kid would you know, get leftover everything, whatever. It was very sustainable to have a lot of kids even if you didn't have some exogenous motivator where you had to like have them work for you and they made sense that way. Mm. So the problem now is that when parents have kids, especially in developed countries, the expectation is that those kids are going to go to expensive private schools and they're going to go on expensive vacations and the kids are going to have organic yogurt every day and like all these things that in the end, they add up. And it's like very, very unsustainable. Wish I had so that. Look, right. I do too. Um, when, when people think about raising kids, I think they're thinking about essentially bringing in a an additional adult to their family that is going to cost roughly as much as they are, but also not making any money. Why on earth? You know, how can you have more than two kids? Like you literally can't have that level of money. Well, you know, I remember kids. I have two children. God bless them. They're you know adults. I remember when they were young and I was driving in a car with my aunt, you know, kind of old worldy. And I asked her, should I have more children? And you know what she said? She said, if you can raise, she said, if you can raise two right, that's good enough. Then more. What she's saying, in other words, the more children you have, the harder it is to raise the children. That's that was that viewpoint. What do you what do you say to that? It's very hard to raise children. Isn't it? We're speaking with right now, Simone Collins, co-author of The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, as well as Malcolm Collins. Uh, they're pronatalists, authors of The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, which, by the way, they heard at the beginning of the podcast during the intro. But we're repeating it so they don't just think I'm talking to myself or that they're hearing voices in their head. Uh, right. So what happens with what happens with Catholics? I'm interested in that for a minute. Um, Malcolm, Simone, Simone, I read that you are not only the author, but you operate companies, you invest in startups, you lecture on the topic of management techniques at some great universities. What motivates the both of you to talk about this topic of having that people should have more children? What, what's your driving force? Is it religion? If we don't fix this, civilization is going to collapse. Wait, let's you slow that. That's right. It was Elon Musk, Elon Musk, sorry, Kellen, <laughs> uh, who said that will happen, that unless we have more children, did he say civilization would collapse? Well, I don't know if he said that, but let's, let's talk about how extreme this problem is. So I started caring about this when I was working as a venture capitalist in South Korea, hmm. and I was supposed to like chart the economic future of the country. And yet, if you look at Korea's current fertility rate, it's 0.8. That means for every 100 Koreans alive today, there will be 6.6 .6 great grandchildren. And it's it's still declining every year. Um, and what I sort of learned there is that even when things are catastrophic, even when you're dealing with like a 95% population collapse over the next century, no one freaks out. And that there there is no natural floor to this. The numbers just keep going down. And well, so coming well, this is great. We thought that that the Japanese were such an advanced culture. You're speaking about South Korea, mm -hmm. and yet Japan is now a bellwether for population loss. How did that happen? So we think that these two countries have something in common, which is a very interesting thing about population collapse, which remember I said, uh, liberals, when they hear about population collapse, they're always like, well, give us more money. Conservatives are like, well, we should stop more immigration. But what's really interesting is that all cultural groups in a country that is highly diverse typically are more resistant to fertility collapse. The more monocultural and monoethnic a country is, the faster its fertility rates collapse. Stop so if you for, you're too fast for my audience. I hear what they hear. <laughs> I, I know what these words mean. A lot of folks, this is new language to them. Yeah. Okay, so uh, no, Japan, we're, we're, in other words, we're a melting pot nation. So, so is speak. France. So is Israel. That's why they're resistant to fertility collapse. But, but again, it goes back to the first question. You said that it's, it crosses ethnic lines in these countries. Is that true? Are the European French having children or is it the Muslim immigrants who are having children in France? 
I, I could, Simone, you could Google the statistic, but I'm fairly certain European French are having way more kids than like Russians or Georgians or probably even in the UK. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Now, why are the Russians not having babies? What happened there? Uh, again, monocultural clusters would be my guess, as well as very little hope for the future. So Ukraine, Ukraine must be uh, eight million people have been displaced. I can't imagine this country can survive this war. Even yeah, if well, I mean, if you don't have hope for the future, if you don't have hope that kids will have a good life, ah. Typically won't have kids. This is why China's fertility rate is so low. Why? Everyone pretends it's the one child policy, but it's lower now than it was during the one child policy. In 2020, it crashed uh, 20 percent. And then in 2021, it crashed another 13 percent. Those numbers. They're having more fun now, isn't it? Girls just want to have fun. Uh, and boys no, don't want to commit. The boys they, don't want a commitment and the girls just want to have fun. No, the, the boys want commitments. The, the the men in China can't afford to get wives now. Like to get a wife, you need to have an apartment. To get an apartment, the costs are completely prohibitive now. Like it is it is kind of insane to go through the cultural institution of mm-hmm. finding a partner as a man in China now, unless you're getting an immigrant wife, in which case it's still difficult. So that's um, a very important point. They actually care about what's going to happen after they have the child. They think about that. In China, in other words, they have dignity and say, we need to have a place for our family in America. Apparently, people don't even think about that. Yeah. Well, those people have more kids. Um, But it is it is a bit more than that. So in China, there's a beginning feeling like there is no longer the social mobility there used to be in the country. There's no longer room for economic advancement. And so if you're having a kid just to be a tool of the state and the state's constantly telling you to have kids, which they're doing now. Oh, my God. That's interesting because I know a lot of young people who are successful who will not have children saying, I don't want to raise them in this country, which is becoming so Marxist. I'm terrified to raise them. And, you know, my answer to them is, do you know that the Jews who were in the concentration camps, some of them still had babies and hid them in the concentration camps because life, you know, therefore choose life. Life is so important. I, I think we should talk if we can at a certain point about the reverence for life and the loss of reverence for life and how cheap life has become in this secular society of ours. Well, there's multiple cultural groups. I think most religious groups or most traditional religious communities in America still genuinely revere life. And that's one of the reasons why they've been so resistant to fertility collapse. But I think what we're beginning to see now is the progressive cultural group. Their fertility rate is so low. If you look at far left progressive, their fertility rate is like 0.4. Thank which means God. For every hundred today, there will be two great grandchildren. Oh, thank God. So. Well, it's interesting because it means that the only way they can repopulate is through control of the school system, which ah, is why uh, they whoa, become, whoa, whoa. is that why they're obsessed with this transgender stuff? I'm, I wouldn't talk on the trans. I, I'd say that it's it's more just their entire cultural group is really trying to drill into the school system. And I think that their their way that their culture sees gender is different from the way most traditional cultures see gender. And, and so that's where it's really highlighted. Always, in my entire years since the 60s, progressive so-called have always been anti-birth, always been anti-children, always ZPG, again, going back to zero population growth, uh, readily available contraceptives, things of that nature, abortion on demand. It's all coming from the progressives, right? Here's where it gets interesting, where they've completely boned themselves. So it turns out, if you look at the data, and there's a whole field that studies this called genopolitics, about 30 to 50% of the way a person votes, the difference in voting patterns is heritable. (laughs) The difference in birth rates right now between conservatives and progressives in the U.S., means we should expect about a standard deviation shift to conservative voting over the next century. Oh, great. I can't wait. (laughs) Well, it's bad in the short term. In the short term, their focus on breaking up family groups, single women and single men vote more progressively than conservatively. So intergenerationally, within a generation, they're making our society more progressive. Uh, But in intragenerationally, intergenerationally, between generations, they're making us more conservative. Well, we, we to to pause and take a deep breath. That- I want to remind people what we're talking about, because I'm 
fascinated by this discussion from both of you. You're very brilliant people. And this feels to me like a high level seminar beyond the PhD level in a university. But I remember my average general audience are not stupid, but their minds are distracted by a million things that we're not distracted by. So if I have to refresh what we're talking about uh, with, with Malcolm and Simone Collins, you are authors of The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, which I'd like to talk about in a minute. But really, the, the, sub, this, the title of this podcast is um, Without More Children, America Will Die. I'm going to make it simple, something along those lines. I, I've got to get people to listen. How would you characterize this discussion for the general audience, to people running around doing a million things? What are they listening to and why? What's the topic? What we're discussing is that if birth rates remain very low, any culture that has that low birth rate is on its way to extinction. Great. And <laughs> even if that, you have a high that birth rate culture that is likely to persist into the future, you are likely to be attacked by low birth rate cultures like progressive culture, because a low birth rate culture that is trying to spread is going to then take from other cultures, it, it's young, essentially, and convert them oh. to be able to maintain its population levels. So what Malcolm was alluding to earlier was that the scary short-term thing about progressive culture is that as its population continues to collapse, it will experience more pressures. And we're not saying there's like some cabal of people organizing this. This is more of an organic cultural mechanism, but it will experience more cultural pressure to convert new members primarily through things like the school and university system, which we're already starting to see. And so the important thing, and one thing we discuss a lot in the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion is, okay, one, if you have a culture that you care about, you like your value and worldviews, and you want to see them persist into the future, how can you make sure that your own culture has a high birth rate, that you raise your children in, those cult in, in that culture, and that they love their experience so much that they in turn have children and raise their children in that culture and so on and so forth. But also... How can you protect your culture from other cultures that are trying to convert their members because they're not having them through high birth rates from losing your own members, which is something that's happening a lot to families, even that do have a high birth rate and that even that have a very strong culture. That's now, what we're discussing. Home of borders, language, culture, the savage nation. Gold, 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 bank collapse, bank collapse, gold. What am I talking about? Gold prices have jumped as fear spreads in the banking sector. That's what I'm talking about. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank has people running to gold, which has survived the test of time. Now is the time for you to buy gold. And remember this, there's a lot of gold companies, but Birch Gold is the only gold company Michael Savage trusts and recommends. And here is how you can act to protect your hard-earned cash, whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA or IRA in precious metals, where you can hold real gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. It's your choice, physical or an IRA. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. I want you to do this to protect your assets. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Text SAVAGE to 989-898, and we're going to send you a free information kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. You heard me right. You get a free home safe. Just text SAVAGE to 989-898. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Banks are collapsing. Gold prices are jumping. Act now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. What happened in Japan? A Harvard professor a few months ago said that elderly Japanese should commit suicide for the sake of society. I thought that was so out of Hitler Germany. I actually never heard anything like that. Have you heard what's coming out of Canada recently? Yeah. What? Oh, what, the, the whole euthanasia thing. I mean, a lot of people are reaching out to the Canadian government, even for unrelated services. Like they're complaining about, you know, wheelchair um, lifts not being installed in their homes. And then, you know, the Canadian like medical system is essentially responding back have you not considered suicide is um, that true 
Well, I mean, think about <laughs> think about what's happening in in Canada. So they have a a um a euthanasia program, which is is actually really amazing. Um, it's amazing for a nation to have a good euthanasia program because if you are someone who is terminally ill, um, who is either going to be suffering significantly you know, in the end of your life, or you could have basically a death with dignity. It's really nice to have a program that supports that. Um, however, because Canada has a nationalized health service and because that health service is in many ways overtaxed and, you know, these doctors aren't paid very well and they're overwhelmed by people who to a great extent are sort of entitled and kind of angry and not treating them really well. You're of course going to end up with a system where people come complaining to doctors and they say, well, I have this condition and I have that condition. And the doctors are going to just start saying like, can we help you? Please step in here. We can, we can end you. Um, like, yeah, please you step know, in I, here. We have a McDonald's uh, breakfast waiting for you. So we're <laughs> so not going to add some nuance. Youth, to euthanasia is now this is becoming, not a topic we usually talk about. She's pro euthanasia because her mother died very, very slowly of cancer and, and, and there was nothing she could do about it. And so she's really pro individual choice. But when you give that choice to a giant bureaucracy, wait, who is she? Simone? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. But when you give that choice to a giant bureaucracy like the Canadian national health care system, it gets sort of comical where they're just like, Ugh, I'm, I'm through with the paperwork on this person. Maybe I should just start encouraging them to kill themselves. Oh, well, um, and that's where you get these these silly things happening. Um, but, you know, you were talking about, you know, we were talking about the education system and we were talking about some of our projects. You know, we have three big projects. One is the Pragmatist Guide Series. And each one of these, we look at a topic that like in the way academia would look at it, if academia could still be mature, but like academia is not mature anymore. So we have one on like sexuality, one on religion, one on governance. But the other two big projects we have, one is on trying to replace the school system. That's the CollinsInstitute.org because if the existing school system, you know, not every parent can afford to homeschool. If the existing school system is trying to erase the traditional high birth rate cultures, can we create an alternative to that? And then the other is pronatalist.org, the pronatalist foundation. You know, there we're trying to work on solutions to this fertility collapse. Never, never heard of them. That's why this is such a fascinating discussion. Going back to, to paying people to have children, Russia recently revived its mother heroin award, heroin, her not heroin, <laughs> and it delivers a payment of 1 million rubles, about 21,000 bucks to women who birthed and raised 10 Russian babies. And the lump sum is paid on the 10th baby's first birthday. That didn't work out, did it? No. Yeah, no. I don't think it got fertility rates up at all. Um, no. However, I do think that we should consider women who do have kids as serving a national service. And there should be mechanisms for rewarding them in the same way we reward things well, like that. Oh, look, guys, I've said for kids. years that we need we need we need movies that extol the family. I mean, in the 50s, you know, I grew up the father and the mother life with father, you know, at home. Yeah, it was not joking. No one put the family down. It wasn't seen as a terrible thing. The family life was shown on TV in a kindly way. Now you never see a family at all unless they're mocked. Yeah. Parents are uncool or they're suffering or at the very least, parents seems to entail they're sloppy. Giving up. They're not cool. Right. Yeah. They're sloppy. Yeah. But I argue this started. So I think a lot of people, they look back as the ideal family and they're thinking of what we call the nuclear family. No, but I actually goodness. think that the nuclear family was sort of a, a, a short experiment. Really? And that it. It, yeah, and that it's not representative of what I, so nuclear wow. families as we think of them only really started in the 1920s when male wage wait, labor wait, started. Wait, the mother, and father, men, and children, the nuclear family started in the 20s. Well, no, no, no. The, what we think of a man who leaves the household uh, to go oh. make money and, and leaves the family. That was the beginning of the atomization you mean of the he family. To go to work. And that was the beginning. Yes, leaving the family to go to work. It used to be that the whole family oh, the farm, worked together. The farm thing, okay. Agrarian, yeah, yeah, agrarian America. What we call corporate family. Well, it reminds me. It where reminds me of the Oliver Goldsmith yeah. poem, you know, where he talks about uh, the industrialization of England. And I forget. God, I wish I could recall the poem. It was so beautiful. Ill fares the land. You know that one. Do you know that poem? Look up Oliver Goldsmith. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. I'll have to read it to you. But he's talking about what happens when the farmland is taken over for industrialization. It was during industrialization of England. And it was so beautifully written about the, the abandoned farms, ill fares, the land, you know, that kind of thing. So Ugh. it's interesting what you say. It's that the idea of the nuclear family is a rather kind of newish thing. It's not it's 100 years old. It's not ancient. 
Yes, but what's cool is what we had before that, the corporate family might be coming back. I mean, the way the government reacted to COVID was pretty stupid. But um, one great thing is that they really made the concept of work from home much more Uh. common, which means that now it is possible to have entire families stay together throughout the day, to maintain the family intact, the husband, the wife, sometimes even the grandparents in your community, even the kids stay at home sometimes. That is, I think, where the future of our society is going, these more intact family units, because um, the 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 idea of maintaining an entire family on one person's salary is just not that realistic for most Americans. Now, I days. have to read the poem to you. It's going to break up the podcast with a little art. Oliver Goldsmith, this occurred <laughs> when uh, people were fleeing the farm in England to go to factories during the Industrial Revolution. Ill fares the land to hastening ill a prey where wealth accumulates and men decay. Princes and lords may flourish or may fade. A breath can make them as a breath has made. But a bold peasantry, their country's pride, when once destroyed, can never be supplied. It goes on, but that summarizes all of it. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful poem that very few people uh, know anything about. No one reads poetry anyway, unless it's anti-American of some kind. But, you know, ill fares the land to hastening ill of prey where wealth accumulates and men decay, blah, blah, blah. So that's a new phenomenon, what you are talking about. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. Please stay tuned for another installment from Malcolm and Simone Collins in part two of Brave New Worlds on the Michael Savage podcast. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and you'll learn something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.